Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I would like to begin by paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I am coming to you from today. Land where at Brainwaves we tell our stories, and land where the traditional custodians have told their stories for many, many years before us, and continue to tell their stories. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners who are listening today. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855 on your dial, app or digitally. I'm your host, Flick Manning. Brainwaves is a mental health focused show with a lived experience lens and today we're going to be talking about a very topical subject, COVID and long COVID. And to talk about this, I'm joined by an incredible health advocate, Donna Chicha, whose family has lived experience with long COVID as do I personally. Donna originally studied fashion design and business and after battling chronic health conditions, Donna went on to study holistic nutrition and homeopathy. She's a Master of Research Candidate at NICM Health Research Institute. Donna is the co-founder and director of Endometriosis Australia and a director at Chronic Pain Australia. In 2018, Donna was named in the Australian Financial Review's 100 Women of Influence and was Blackmore's Women and Wellness Change Being for 2019 and a finalist in the New South Wales Woman of the Year Community Hero for 2021. Donna has been appointed as an Australia Day Ambassador. And she's a member of the Federal Endometriosis Advisory Group for the implementation of the National Action Plan for Endometriosis. Donna, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Flip. So, Donna, how has COVID and long COVID affected yours and your family's lives? So, long COVID has arrived in my family. It's affected my son. Um, He caught COVID when he was... 16. He had a very mild case of COVID and we think he had a higher viral load because he was COVID positive for quite some time. His symptoms started to appear around a month, six weeks later. So we thought he had recovered and he got through COVID. I'd been reading a lot of research about COVID and long COVID and not to do exertion after getting COVID to ease yourself back into things and that didn't work. So unfortunately, he now has long COVID. He's 17 and has been diagnosed with POTS and is now on heart medication. So it's been quite tragic to watch because he was a black belt in karate and very active. And so we're navigating year 11 um, with long COVID and I think also educating school along the way. That sounds extremely complex. And it must be emotional to observe and then support your child going through this kind of experience. How has that affected yours and I guess his mental health? As a as an endo warrior, as we like to call ourselves, as an endo warrior, I've lived with chronic, you know, disease, chronic pain for majority of my life. Um, the last thing I ever wanted for my child was to have a chronic illness. So it was really, really sad to think that it was something I could not prevent uh, from happening. 
So navigating my son' journey with health it started at an early age. He was diagnosed on the autism spectrum, so he's neurodiverse. Um, I'm not sure what the languaging is because it has changed quite dramatically in the last few years with neurodiversity, but he's very high functioning. So he does a lot of mainstream things and he doesn't like to talk about his uh, neurodiversity. That's his journey. What it has happened with long COVID has ionized any of those pre-existing anxieties. So it's made his anxiety much worse. And he is so sensory sensitive now, he can feel his heart rate. And so the sensations of his heart not slowing down and the heart rate going through the roof to, you know, I think he got up to 170 and not coming back down, it exacerbates that anxiety that he already had. Uh, How is he going to manage this? So I've already had one phone call today. I think I have about on average, about four phone calls from school every day. Old, it's great, Mum. My heart has changed. It's staying stable. The medication's working. To today, it's risen a little bit. I'm really worried it's not going to work. So we go from the swinging of the axis of one minute it feels like it's working, then what if it doesn't? And that fear of maybe I'm not going to get better. Maybe these medications aren't going to be of any help. So it's it's challenging. And then trying to do schoolwork. Um, I know that now he's going through exams. He comes through and he's absolutely exhausted. And the idea at school is they give them an extra five minutes to do their exams. And so I think for parents, it's going to be a whole new navigation of how do you, you're nearly trying to educate the school at the same time, but how do you bring them up to speed with what's the best way to manage long COVID? Is it cutting the exam into two parts so that he can do two 25-minute ones instead of an hour long, you know, exam? So it's just trying to think about new ways to tackle the problem and it sounds, again, very, very complicated because there's just so many factors and so many uh, outside things that you've got to consider, particularly when, you know, it's a person that's still a child as well. So you've got to do all that advocacy on their behalf as well as the stuff that they're, I'm sure they're doing themselves. Um, now, Donna, you've always been an advocate as shown through your work co-founding Endometriosis Australia and your association with Chronic Pain Australia and more. And watching the lack of support for invisible illnesses before, how does this affect you mentally when you're seeing some of the same stuff playing out again with such a life-altering illness like long COVID? It is just like watching everything on repeat because it is the same thing. Patients are scattered everywhere and they're in silence. They're in silos. They, you know, they're, they feel very isolated and alone. That was what endometriosis was a decade ago. And people with chronic pain, they have felt that same isolation. So I think long COVID is going through that same um, evolution of how do we bring all of those patients together? You know, we've got all these people that are so, so sick. How do they get their voices heard? when they're struggling every day just to do basic things like 
having a shower or walking from the bed to the couch, you know, making a meal. My heart goes out to parents who are navigating it and trying to manage children that, you know, yes, it's hard watching a child go through it. And, you know, there is no one's worse than the other, but trying to muster your strength. I know with myself, mustering strength because of my fatigue, raising children it is is challenging because you you only have we call in the industry we only have so many spoons every day and so we only have so many spoons to spend and you're trying to ration it out and manage your energy and your time to give all the needs and so no one is wanted left wanting so um, you know, I'm watching long COVID play out as exactly like other invisible illnesses. They're too sick to be heard at the moment and we need to be able to give them a voice. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's really quite devastating. Now, Donna, there is a lot of denial, as we've just sort of covered there, of the impacts of COVID and the realities of long COVID in the community. And it's sort of even is perpetuated by the government and then the mass media, the health industry and so on. I'm sure that this probably weighs on you and your son in different ways. If that's the case, how so? And and also what should the public and the media know? Well, I think there needs to be a really good public health campaign. And I'm, I think that is one of the best things is raising awareness. And I think understanding that, you know, we don't know enough about COVID. We don't know enough about long COVID. Some people might breeze through. I, I know quite a few people that have had it six times and they're still functioning okay. But what happens in 20 years' time? What happens in five years' time? Or what happens with the seventh infection? So I think not minimising COVID, but putting it out there that we still have a lot to learn. It's a little bit like endometriosis. We know that it affects people in a certain way we don't know what causes endometriosis we don't know how to prevent endometriosis we don't know how to cure endometriosis it is the same thing with long COVID we just don't know what the long-term ramifications are going to be uh, for people that get COVID and for those that have long COVID so research Donna, how are you guiding your son through the realities of living with a chronic condition and how are you both navigating the risks that are probably additional that he faces now? Like any parent with a 17-year-old, it is challenging because you're a parent and they don't always believe what a parent does and what they say. So having third-party input is always a great thing. Um, I can share with you my experience of what life is like, you know, to say for people with long COVID, you need to pace. Well, what is pacing to a 17-year-old? You have to literally articulate it out of what pacing is because they're used to just going at full speed until they stop. But going at full speed until you stop often ends up in a crash and they're in bed for a, nearly a week. And so trying to navigate school time and so we, we're working with the school on not doing any extracurricular stuff how we can manage his time and also understanding it for himself that 
not to push through because, you know, getting your black belt in karate, it was all about pushing through the pain, pushing through, you know, any adversity. Gen X parents and where at that age group is that you just sold your own, you just keep going, but trying to empower him with the knowledge. And I think also what I learned with endometriosis is you have to, as a parent, empower the child to be invested in learning about it themselves. You can't be the oracle for them. You need to empower them to take charge. And I have a saying of being the CEO of your own healthcare. So I am trying to empower him. The journey will be uh, in its own course of time. But that's my goal is to empower him with that independence and that knowledge that he can navigate the healthcare uh, system and his healthcare himself. Yeah, and I think that's a really, really great point. Becoming a true self-advocate is a, something that you have to learn and certainly something that you've got to learn how to do yourself really, really effectively. That's great advice for anyone with a chronic condition, frankly, but certainly if you've got a child living with one as well. Now, we've also got this immune risk that hangs over people's heads once they have experienced something like a chronic condition or something like long COVID. And obviously you've got your son in a school setting. So mentally, you know, how are you and how is he prepared to deal with that risk of being in a setting now where there's not really precautions necessarily being taken to protect against further infections of COVID? Well, there's no precautions taken at all. He is the lone masker. So he wears an N95 mask every day to school. We were in Parliament House last week. You know, us as a family all wear an N95 mask. So our job is to protect him. So that's what we do. There is no other way around it. We have air purifiers and wherever we are, we do routine testing at home and surveillance testing just to keep each other safe. There's not really much else we can do. We're trying to keep him as social as possible so he still does go to school. I think also navigating that, you know, young guys don't want to be vulnerable as well. So, you know, letting him know it's okay to go to the nurses, the school nurse station and the wellbeing centre and go and see them, you know, if he needs to go and have a lie down. You know, we have ice packs and ice vests because the heat really affects him. They are there at the ready at school. We try to negotiate different things like they have lifts at his school. So he has a lift pass so that he minimizes the exertion of walking, but also minimizes the risk for the school for falling down the stairs if he gets lightheaded with pots. So uh, we're trying to look after the school, look after our child and try and find ways to navigate. Like every parent does, you have to go back to the drawing board and think, okay, well, this is my problem. How can we put strategies in place to make it easier for him? And how can we keep him safe? So that's all the, you know, masking and air purifiers. That's, that's what we've got um, at our disposal and that's what we do. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think we need to see a lot of lot more uptake of that in general. And as you said earlier, a public messaging around these kinds of things would be greatly beneficial in that way. 
I don't know, obviously you're such a, a powerhouse when it comes to health advocacy with all the work that you've done and your own personal experiences, but you certainly haven't stopped there. You've now applied this to long COVID. You're actually building a long COVID not-for-profit targeted specifically at awareness and support. I'm very proud to also be a part of that as a person with long COVID myself. What specifically, I guess, inspired you to take this on, on top of all the things that you're already doing? And what are your aims with Long COVID Australia? My husband asked me the same question because he goes, what are you doing? But I just think that there are all these people out there that don't have a voice. And like I did with Endometriosis Australia, it's kind of gathering the the group of people, bringing everyone together so their voices can be heard. I think we need more awareness. We need education and uh, we need to raise funds for research because that's going to be our key. We don't know how many people in Australia are affected by long COVID. So we can't put in policies in workplaces, in health settings, in government. We can't do any of those things without the data. So we're not counting numbers like we were before. Um, We're not looking at new variants or any public health policy. Um, We know that other post-viral illnesses have created long-term damage for so many people. COVID is going to be along the same lines. And I think the word long COVID needs to be out there so people don't think they're forgotten. Donna, I know we've talked quite extensively about this already, but many of us with long COVID feel that we have been almost entirely abandoned really by the medical system and the government, uh, which have not been particularly great historically at paying attention to invisible illnesses in the first place. They don't have a great track record of doing that. So this leaves a really a growing population without sufficient access and treatment options. Uh, and of course, no disability coverage in terms of payments either at this stage for long COVID. There are a lot of people as a result who are fearing for their safety, for their ability to keep a roof over their head, to maintain relationships, jobs, and so on. It's really quite heartbreaking. What could you say to allies, people that perhaps have not experienced long COVID themselves thus far? What can they do to support those with long COVID? I think with with something like an invisible illness that long COVID is, is just believe them. You know, the validation is just um, the most important thing. Look, I like to use an analogy with endometriosis. You know, for years and years, no one knew what the word meant. But if you have walked up and said, I'm going to have a bowel resection because I've got bowel cancer, people go, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. What can I do to help? But if you said you would have it done for endometriosis, it would be the same. You would not get that same response. You would get, what's endometriosis? And so long COVID is that same thing. You know, you want to be able to tell someone, I've got long COVID. Are you sure you've got long COVID? You know, how do you know you've got long COVID? What, why do you think you've got long COVID? You know, what actually is long COVID? You want someone to respond with, I'm so sorry to hear, what can I do to help? That's what we want to hear. You know, that's what, what can we do to support? I know that we've, we've had challenges with, we don't, still don't have anything written on my son's medical records that he even had COVID, even though we have a PCR evidence to support. We don't even have that he's got long COVID written on his medical reports. We have to justify everything with the medical fraternity. He has a wonderful cardiologist that's been incredibly supportive and 
you know, we are very thankful for that. But I think overall, patients are really struggling at the moment to find uh, medical professionals, allied health professionals, you know, and people not preying on their vulnerability by charging them huge amounts of money for small return uh, of wellness. So uh, people are very desperate. They need a roof over their head. They need to know where their next paycheck is coming from. They need to figure out what they could do working from home. Um, so making all those opportunities available to them uh, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in terms of mental health specifically, and again, I guess you can draw on this from your own experience with, you know, endometriosis and building endometriosis Australia and so on. When something that you're experiencing is not being readily talked about, when these research options aren't there, when it's almost become radical to talk about COVID now, how does that affect somebody's mental health, you know, to to not be in a position to be able to just have a conversation with an, the average person or a family member about something that they're experiencing? Have you got any experience in that yourself, I suppose, with endometriosis? And also, how do you tackle that now with your son with long COVID? I think, you know, all fellow maskers out there will understand how they feel like the outliers in society. We are often looked like we have are the ones that are sick when wearing. So I often have to explain, I use it as a great conversation piece. I'm wearing my mask to protect my son because he has long COVID. And so that is my opening speech now to everyone so that they are aware that long COVID exists and that I'm taking measures to protect my child. And I haven't had any problems. You know, I've heard people having issues, but mentally, I think People just giving you the space and being okay with it. The great team at Endometriosis Australia have been wonderful. I have turned up to all events wearing a mask and I have been included in all the photos. I said, look, I can't do that. I'm going to be wearing a mask. That doesn't matter. We'd like you to speak. So it's great to just make that acceptable um, because you don't know what someone else is going on you know, it's a physical reminder for people that there is an invisible disease. And sometimes they, people find that confronting. But uh, for me, I'm using it as a way to educate those around me that I'm doing what I need to do to protect my son and my family. So mental health is a big thing. I know that there is mental health programs, but I know the demand is really high. Um, and so getting in to see a therapist is really, really challenging for many people. I think there's a lot of online support groups and, you know, at least you'll be with like-minded people um, until you can get an appointment to see a therapist. But having gone through countless therapy sessions myself, I can, you know, managing my um, chronic illness, I can say it's worth its weight in gold. So... If you get the opportunity and you can get some assistance through the, I think the Medicare system or the chronic healthcare plans, that would be advisable because it is a really great resource about understanding where you are with the disease. It doesn't define you. And as much as you feel like your body's failing you, one psychologist that I work with that's a researcher, she always used to say, I always get people to sit down and tell me what thing they like about their body. 
And because we've been so long hating on our bodies for failing us, we can't turn around and say, well, I like my blue eyes. Well, I like the color of my skin or I like the shape of my nails. It could be something really uh, mundane, but we hate it on our bodies for being in the situation we are in. We don't take the time to just enjoy the little bits that we can do and we do have that's working for us. So someone said that years ago, this psychologist said it years ago, and it's been those one things that have stuck with me because I think I spent a good 20 years hating my body for failing. And uh, now I have to try and remind myself each day what it is that I like about my body. That's a fantastic piece of advice, I think, for anyone, again, with a chronic condition or frankly anybody, because we often really do deliver a lot of hate and resentment towards this uh, skin suit that allows us to live this life. So that's a wonderful way to wrap up our time together, Donna, because I knew we would speed through things. But thank you so much for, you know, coming on and being frank and open with yours and your son's experience. This is definitely a conversation we need to continue to have and continue to sort of push into the public realm and continue to be represented. So I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, if anyone wants to connect with Donna and find out more about Long COVID Australia or even Endometriosis Australia or Chronic Pain Australia, all the wonderful things that Donna works on, make sure you head to donnachichard.com.au and don't worry, we will post that link on the FreeCR website so that you can click straight through. You can, of course, also catch us here on Brainwaves, same time, same place next week and listen to the replays of our previous episodes on the 3CR podcast page or Spotify. And finally, a reminder that your mental health is of equal importance to your physical health. So if you're yet to do so today, please connect them in harmony by taking a nice deep inhale, a lovely exhale, and remember to shower yourself with the kindness you so easily give to others. I look forward to chatting with you next time on Brainwaves. If you're wrestling with feelings of anxiety, worry and depression or finding the current social isolation measures hard to deal with, we would like to encourage you to call Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are seeking information about mental health or mental health services or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. If you feel it would be helpful to talk to someone about these issues during this difficult period, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.